Rather than having made prudent life choices all along, most of us tend to only seek healthful solutions once we've had a scare in the form of a diagnosis or event. This is HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. In this program, we'll show you the techniques, innovations, and holistic ideas that you can use to put yourself on the path to better health. Now, here is Dr. Trevor Campbell. Hello, welcome to HealthScape with your host, Dr. Trevor Campbell. The topic today is spirituality and chronic pain treatment. Now, this is not an interview, but rather my thoughts, musings, and reflections on a subject and field that I know is underutilized and probably not given its due credit. People in chronic pain who describe themselves as religious or spiritually inclined, while invariably forthcoming about their beliefs and practices, are initially somewhat guarded about it when they're still getting to know me as a physician. And it turns out that the reason is that this type of disclosure apparently often meets with silence or perceived indifference on the part of the physician or therapist. A sizable number of my patients are somewhat surprised at how agreeable I seem to be towards their practice. I then have to usually go on to explain that with chronic pain or any challenging experience for that matter, it seems misguided to ignore what has already been self-described as a helpful and dependable resource. Focusing on what works or what has helped in the past in these trying situations is surely a given. That having been said, trying to initiate and drum up a spiritual practice from scratch in a moment of need, one suspects, is probably not the type of spirituality in which one can have the fullest confidence. So what then is spirituality and what are the possible benefits? Given what we currently see, it may make most more sense to try and explain why this question is even necessary. Presently, many people have chosen to relegate spirituality to a peripheral position in their lives. Occasional dips into spirituality emerge episodically at things like childbirth, the deathbeds of relatives and funerals. But they are sometimes also scheduled as top-ups or refreshers. For example, the attendance of a day seminar on Gregorian chanting, making the spiritual encounters or so-called spiritual encounters way more manageable to shoehorn into the fast-paced life of a busy professional. But this is a bit like trying to schedule time for spontaneity. It doesn't really work. So perhaps a brief overview of spirituality and what it may encompass is warranted. Now, sometimes when examining a subject or concept, it is often more helpful to capture multiple insights from a variety of perspectives, like we do on an MRI, for example, rather than simply to bore down deeply. This is the way of understanding by synthesis or the so-called synthetic way, by putting things together and building a more complex informative structure where the concept becomes bigger than the sum of its individual components. Complex concepts are often better dealt with in this way. For example, if we look at big issues such as life and love, by breaking it down into smaller 
components and later fragments, we end up being left with very little. And our conclusion may be, so what? Is this love? It almost diminishes rather than adds information. And the same with spirituality. Now, of course, the more common way of studying is the, by analysis or breaking something down into its individual components. Firstly, discussing spirituality, it is important to note that although we often talk about the mind-body connection, this is actually an understatement, as a more accurate description is that you are in effect a mind-body continuum, with a non-material part of your being an essential part of your existence and experience as your body. The spirituality question often causes discomfort for some, particularly in Western societies, though interestingly, not in all cultures in Western societies, where it is feared that attempts are being made to drag one into some sort of church, religious organization, or specific dogma, where one may have already had a negative experience in the past, perhaps. While you could, of course, be aligned with an organization, spirituality as we know it is way broader. It encompasses most things we appreciate that are non-material, such as the contemplation of nature, good works, charity, and random acts of compassion and kindness. Even the contemplation of philosophy or great literature can be a spiritual experience. And then there are the sizable number of creative pursuits like producing art, music, or literature that may have a transcendental or spiritual component. After all, meaning, good and evil, ethics and morality are all highlights rather than mere talking points in great literature. Spirituality includes a great number of perspectives, ideas, approaches, and behaviors that usually include two features. Number one, a connection with something larger than us, perhaps our potential higher selves, as well as a search for meaning that is universal and not solely limited to our own lives. It therefore has a lot to do with our very identity and not merely our personal perspectives. It is how we deal with life issues and the way we live our lives while not being entirely focused on the transient, the changeable, and the material. Spirituality also brings its own kind of wisdom, empowering us to solve the more complex problems of life, such as what we should be doing with our time, the nature of our relationship with others, and probably most important, our relationship with ourselves and with life in general. So finding a socio-spiritual life or expanding your spirituality is not only a valuable pursuit, but also a helpful resource, as spirituality also appears to have an auto-edit function, kind of stripping off and filtering out inauthenticity and deception. A helpful combination of any of the aforementioned activities gives you a more holistic approach to life, increases your peace of mind, and generally confers an appreciation for further spiritual opportunity. The importance of and value of this is having a refuge or respite from the everyday challenges and the so-called slings and arrows of the material world. 
Furthermore, it strengthens your inner control center because the act of giving to or helping someone else is a very potent message to your brain that your capabilities and energy are not only enough for your own life, but formidable enough to benefit and sometimes even carry others. Studies have shown that people with an active spiritual life, and this may or may not include religious involvement, have more favorable health outcomes, especially regarding mental issues, stress, coping skills, and reported quality of life. When dealing with people in chronic physical pain, a spiritual appreciation has enabled me to connect more meaningfully in difficult situations. Even the solution to this spiritual pain is usually drawn, guess what, from spirituality itself. From my earliest professional days, I realized that there was an enormous spiritual component to all of my work, as I'm sure is the case in just the, in every helping profession. I am furthermore painfully aware that people can suffer chronic pain, sp chronic spiritual pain, without physical pain. Studies have also been done on people who have undergone near-death experiences. Most of these individuals are said to experience an increase in spiritual growth after the event, which correlates with the severity of their near-death experiences. This growth can, of course, help with their recovery. While a lot of work still needs to be done, it is interesting for me to speculate why the psychological insights generated during the extremely traumatic event or possibly shortly after leads to an increased spiritual drive rather than an expanded will to chase wealth, pleasure, and power. Why would the insight component of the traumatic event be directed towards spirituality? It is said that your life flashes before your eyes when you face imminent death. Is the later need for more spirituality the essence or conclusion of that experience? Then there is the advantage that your spirituality generally expands, the advantage that your spirituality generally expands with age, very much like verbal skills often do. While, as we know, on the other hand, many other things don't improve. It is therefore likely to have a longer shelf life than other life pursuits. Mm. Entropy cannot seem to shrivel spirituality nor deconstruct it. And an important fact to remember here is that we generally don't have to seek spirituality out or con conjure it up. It is innate, but it may be dormant, hidden, or buried so we need to resuscitate it. Spirituality has probably always been a major part of our consciousness, constantly prodding us for attention. Ever since we, we first developed the ability to reflect on our own behaviors and thoughts. Spirituality is somewhat like meditation. You don't really need to believe in it or understand it, but you do need to practice and experience it. Also fascinating, at least to me, 
is that each person's spirituality will, of course, be somewhat different or even radically different from others, much like their fingerprints, because like imagination itself, spirituality is vast and inclusive. And it brings us more than understanding. It confers a kind of unique knowingness, not quite the same, but curiously infused with optimism and peace. On the other hand, excessive focus on the material usually ends up in what appears to be a self-imposed hostage situation. So the rewards of spirituality are formidable and unusual. It is our guiding star in our search for meaning, and more importantly, the potential reach and scale for personal transformation is probably unparalleled, and yet many of us allow it to be bleached out by our hunger for material success, power, and control. But in all this mix, there is a word of warning. With spirituality, one still on occasion needs to internally test whether something feels right or not, as delusion may have flown in somehow under the radar. The massive range of spirituality sometimes allows for this. We cannot therefore merely think of it as this perfect space, this wonderland. So be aware that unworkable and even downright dangerous standpoints are known to have been, quote unquote, spiritualized, usually to the detriment of those who heard and accepted, but even more so to the perpetrators one suspects. When we consider chronic pain, we know that a holistic approach is required. So what then is a holistic approach in physical and mental disease? Holistic implies that the treating physician or therapist makes great effort to inform herself about the person's entire situation. While treating the symptoms and disease, other possible underlying cause of the dysfunction should also be explored and treated. Now, these may be extensive and varied, whether they be physical, mental, social, or in the spiritual realms. Furthermore, actual life events that were traumatic or that stand out from the patient's perspective need to be analyzed. In chronic pain, for example, we use the recommended biopsychosocial approach, which means that the psychological and social issues should be addressed alongside the biomedical problems. Chronic pain experts agree that one cannot reasonably expect recovery in chronic pain without this approach. Integrative and functional medicine physicians and others use this practice routinely in almost all of their patients as most of them tend to have complex problems. For more information on the subject, you may want to review my Healthscape podcast interview with Dr. Bruce Hoffman, integrative physician discussing a holistic approach to complex and chronic disease. By what mechanism can spiritual, spirituality influence recovery and healing? The question is often asked. Now, one of the greatest challenges in chronic pain treatment is to try to remove the usually intense and protracted focus from the chronic pain 
onto something more positive like increased functionality and improved quality of life. Now, this is, of course, way easier said than done. That would be an understatement. As an abnormal focus on the pain and its severity is usually a major driver of chronic pain. In a spiritual practice, apart from the distraction of, that uh, it affords, the distraction from pain that it affords, there's also a change in focus elsewhere, and this is helpful. Anywhere but on the pain would be helpful. Furthermore, those with a spiritual practice often describe feeling a loss of self when immersed in their practice, and yet their identity itself is very much based on their practice. And we also know that one of the most devastating losses suffered by those with chronic pain is loss of identity. An example we hear here would be, I very often see people with debilitating symptoms with very scarred um, limbs from previous accidents, severe pain, and they describe this all to me in a calm and collected way. But the minute they look at what they've lost on the social role side, they often break down. Whether it's someone who is no longer a soccer mom or a father who's unable to kick the ball around with the sons, his sons on the lawn, um, you know, the, the lady who used to bake all the wedding cakes, this reduces them to tears in their history. And as casual listeners, we might think, well, so what? You don't make the wedding cakes anymore. You, other people drive them to soccer. But this is one of the most constant things we see where loss of identity seems to be the, the hardest blow of all in many cases. Now, a further mechanism of how spirituality can influence recovery and healing, the spiritually inclined also get to outsource some of their anxiety and sadness to a higher realm or entity, contenting themselves to do the possible and leaving everything else to the universe or deity or whatever thereby reducing their overall stress levels. One can, after all, only bring one's best efforts to the table at any given time. And that sentiment is rightly seen to be liberating. Then, of course, there's also the sense of community, fellowship, and support that can hardly be overestimated. And this prevents alienation, reduces rumination, and warts of isolation. I often default back to the um, example of the um, so-called primitive tribal uh, way of life, where their preventative health consisted of gathering as one at night, probably eating together, um, hearing stories about the tri tribe, that varied from time to time because they were all related orally. And uh, they varied also according to the need of the tribe and memory loss and so forth. But they were all emphasized inclusion and participation. So even people with severe mental disturbances were more likely to be seen as special or gifted 
and one suspects that their outcomes were good because they were not shunned by the tribe. This was followed by dancing, um, which we now know is said to be a special form of exercise. Um, which I, I recently heard that it can even slow down, attenuate um, the progression of Parkinson's disease. And there's, there's a lot of other research extolling the, virtual, the virtues of dancing with brain function crossover between the two hemispheres. And that's all um, fodder for another talk. So they had a very healthy lifestyle where people didn't feel excluded. They felt part of something greater than themselves. They exercised, they knew each other. And there was this tremendous sense, sense of community. Obviously, discord and strife existed, but this was sorted out by the elders. I don't know how fair that was, but that's what, how they did it. Um, just to backtrack for a while, I want to elaborate a bit on why has, there has been this marginalization of spirituality. Um, well, in my view, there's about three reasons. Um, the first one is what I call the material world scenario. Um, as we've said, the spirituality is marginalized and understated in our modern society. Um, we live in a material world for which many of us are prepared to sacrifice a great chunk of our time, energy, and even our health in what is essentially a material prosperity numbers game that allows us the opportunity to perhaps impress people who are actually likely to be indifferent and uninterested, preferring to focus on their own preferred social ladder. Um, also in westernized material society, economic activity is therefore understandably focused on repeatedly reminding us of the would-be wasteland of living without an abundance of goods, services, and uh, what I could call perceived delights. We, in turn, are required to and encouraged to remain focused on the notion that our lives are somehow incomplete and incomplete and perhaps even devalued without them. There's this almost this feeling that if we do not access these essentials, we may have difficulty in ultimately being able to bury our lives at least as some sort of narrative success. And sadly, docile, we simply soldier on obediently, following the same tired tune played by legions of pipers mostly of the pied variety, one suspects. The next category is that spirituality is somehow anti-intellectual. Those antagonistic to spirituality surprisingly often tend to confuse religion with spirituality, while the former is a subset which for many people affords a rich and rewarding life experience that makes up most of their spiritual life. That works for them. They cite religion as a cause for social strife, 
ongoing conflict and wars, injustice and abuse, the evidence for all of which is certainly there. But on the other hand, religion has also been a source of hope, support, protection, and has been a civilizing influence that has bestowed great social value, including keeping the flame of learning alive during our darkest times and ages. No big surprise here, but religions, after all, are aggregates or groups of people. And as humans, we already know that part of our destiny includes screwing up at least episodically, if not regularly, over and above everything else that we do or attempt to do. This is Dr. Trevor Campbell, your host on Healthscape. Uh, we're just taking a short commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you satisfied with your chronic pain treatment? Chronic pain experts agree that recovery can only occur when the psychological and social issues which help trigger and drive the chronic pain are treated along with the other problems. Medications, injection therapy, and a range of physical therapies may provide temporary relief of symptoms, but they don't actually address the root causes that drive the chronic pain. I'm Dr. Trevor Campbell, a chronic pain consultant and author of The Language of Pain, a self-help book for those struggling with chronic pain. Add this type of therapy to your existing treatment plan and experience the difference. Get your copy of my book, The Language of Pain, on Amazon. And for further direction, there's also the Language of Pain online course available on my website, www.trevorcampbellmd.com. Act now to take back your life. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Healthscape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to host at trevorcampbellmd.com. Now back to the show. And the third factor is the anti-science issue. And probably the most annoying of all, certainly to me, is the notion that spirituality is somehow against science. That's like saying that mixing bowls are anti-screwdrivers. Okay, that's probably not my best ever analogy, but spirituality is a state of mind and a mode of being, to be clear, while science, rather than proving anything, more typically is a tool that enables us to appreciate the existence of relationships more comfortably and reliably. Of course, science has changed our life, lives, but science has not and will not fundamentally change who we are. In contrast, we grossly underestimate the transformative, transformative capacity and capability of spirituality precisely because, it's, because it is a quiet and gentler teacher. It tends to show rather than tell. Furthermore, a tendency or inclination towards spiritual practice does not at all preclude a belief in or respect for what 
the scientific method encompasses and all its multiple astonishing achievements. In recent times, we have heard a lot, in fact, ad nauseam, about, quote, unquote, the science, where the definite article, the, invariably precedes the word science. In my own experience, this often simply refers to the speaker's own notion of what they think science is, or even worse, what they think it should be or ought to be. So what do we do about it? Well, if you are spiritually inclined and facing health issues, it makes perfect sense to include spiritual interventions or approaches and persist with these. If you are a relative or friend of someone in this situation and you are skeptical regarding their choices in this regard, you are probably open to the fact that we all think, learn and live differently and that the value and scale of any benefit is best determined by the beneficiary rather than the observer. It also needs to be remembered that perceptions are real because of their consequences, whether or not they are true, and we basically just have to deal with it. Now, the overwhelming benefit and importance of spirituality lies in the practice rather than the definition of it or the possible rationales for or against it that one could possibly come up with. You don't have to follow a spiritual path, but a spiritually destitute life is truly a sad and extremely truncated existence. Years ago, I had a patient with an advanced tumor to the point that she had been told to get her affairs in order and was actually given a particularly specific and imminent time frame for her survival. She, has ex she accepted all of this. One night, she was persuaded to make a rare social visit to some old friends for supper. On her return home, she decided to take a bath. When she again entered the bedroom, she noted that her husband had fallen asleep, fully dressed. When he didn't respond after repeatedly calling his name, she tugged on his arm, only to learn that her husband had died of what eventually turned out to be a heart attack. She saw me a week later in the office, although heartbroken. She came across as if she were in a bit, in, if, as if she were in better shape, more energetic, and certainly way more determined. She told me that she simply no longer intended to die, as putting her children, who were both teenagers, through all of this was simply too much for them to bear. Her imminent death was no longer on, so to speak. This turned out to be her plan B, with B being spelled B-E. As when I last heard of her about three years later, she was still active and alive, alive and active rather. Every physician has witnessed these situations where the mind has triumphed over almost insurmountable odds. There is a saying in medicine that so-called anecdotal evidence is worse than no evidence at all. To those of us in the profession, this simply leaves us in the conundrum that although things happen that we cannot explain, where are we supposed to go with this new information and how will it determine subsequent treatment plans? 
we clearly cannot use a specific outlying case in dealing with other patients with cancer, thereby giving them false hope. But we can remind them that as physicians, we sometimes get things wrong. When we refer to ourselves as a strange and complex species, I am often left with a feeling that Marco Polo is said to have uttered on his deathbed when the clergy were demanding that he refute his extravagant aims that were simply deemed to be blatant lies. He said, the half has never been told. Which brings us to the end. My own feeling is that we are living in very unusual times where because of lack of spirituality and compassion, we have become more vapid and vacuous, um, latter-day pounceniks, to use a Russian-type term, um, always at the ready to pounce on someone we deem unacceptable or even of a different opinion. My request is that listeners who are in any way moved by this talk or see value in it, um, write back to me at host at trevorcampbellmd.com with any insights, suggestions, or even questions so that this can be further explored. I do not guarantee answers, but questions do raise important ideas, and ideas are what are required to change what we currently see. Um, the atmosphere currently, I would say, in much of the world is becoming increasingly hostile towards our health. Uh, we owe it to subsequent generations to make every effort to change this because it's probably one of the biggest threats we face. Um, the biologist Edward O, I think it's Oswald Wilson, made a remark, it's not an exact quote, but he said that our emotions are paleolithic, our institutions are medieval, but our technology is almost godlike in its capability. Um, the long and short of the story is that this does not signal a happy outcome, to put it bluntly. This is merely an echo of what Einstein, Albert Einstein, the physicist, and Carl Jung, the psychoanalyst, said. We need to develop more, and an increased awareness of spirituality can transform us if we allow it, and we can move on from being reactive and sterile to creators co-creating initially at first something better. 
This is your host on HealthScape, Dr. Trevor Campbell, signing off. Thank you for tuning in to HealthScape with Dr. Trevor Campbell. We hope you'll join us again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time or listen anytime on demand on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a healthy week.